This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Time Travelling Team. I'm Paddy. Each week, Paul and Dan do a fantastic job guiding us through the wide world of movies and TV shows. Meanwhile, my co-host Trisha and I are taking a trip through the time vortex and discussing the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of Doctor Who. Starting back from the earliest adventure in 1963, we're discussing the stories, the Doctor, the companions and the villains of this iconic show. You can find us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now sit back, relax and enjoy as Paul and Dan do their thing. Half measure style. Kia ora and welcome to episode 43 of the Half Measures podcast. It's almost Christmas time. I'm once again joined by my friend and co host, Paul Kanawa. Paul, how are you doing? Kia ora, Dan. I'm good. Yeah, Christmas is not far away at all. Got all the decorations up at our place. It's amazing. Even worse than worse. That, that, that's unfair. We've only got one more episode of Mandalorian to go, Paul. That's that's what's even. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out of sorts because of that. But. No, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. That's, there's a lot to look forward to in this podcast. Not least talking about our latest Mandalorian, of course. Um, but I'm also pleased to say we got some great comments that we received about last week's Mandalorian, which I'll get into our mailbag segment later as well. So there's 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 still we've still got it for another week, Dan. And you know what's great, Paul, is there has been so many Disney Plus announcements over the last week that we've got a ton of new shows coming our way. So even though some of these shows will go on hiatus while they film uh, new seasons, we're going to be getting new stuff as well, and we'll talk a bit more about that during the episode. But Paul, as tradition dictates, what have you been watching? Well, Dan, interestingly enough, I'm at a point where I've almost finished a couple of shows, but I'm not quite ready to talk about them. So the, the shows I've been watching at the moment, I've been watching The Crown, uh, season four, and I've been watching Queen's Gambit, which uh, I understand is just a mini series in itself. So it's not season one, it's just a, a, a one-off thing. So I'm not quite ready to talk about either of those two things. I just want to finish them off and probably talk about them next week. I've also been continuing my Better Call Saul uh rewatch of season one uh i'm at the end of that now i'm about to go into season two the highest quality television i don't know how many times i can talk about this but i'm at i just watched that episode where mike gets offered a job to work as a bodyguard and he meets those people in the car car pack and there's like a huge guy who looks like you know he could take down anyone and then there's Stephen Og, was it Stephen Og or yeah from from walking dead and he's got like 17 guns on him and you know Mike turns up with nothing other than a sandwich and takes them both out if, you know, out of the equation. It's uh, it's amazing. So that's been really, really good. Uh, and I've also been re-watching the uh, Transformers War, War for Cybertron Siege. I've been really enjoying that, getting myself up to date for the, for the second chapter that comes out uh, on 30th of December. So that's been great. It's also been really cool hearing Starscream on this rewatch as well talking to other transformers as opposed to introducing our podcast i literally feel like i know this character in real life it's amazing but uh yeah those are the things i've been watching i feel like this is a real poor excuse and i don't know if i've ever done this before but i'm not at a point where any of those things i've finished watching that i'm going to talk about right now other than the things we've watched together dan so 
just a couple of minutes in, I'm throwing the microphone back to you. That's got to be a record. Before we do that, can you just give me a little tasting of what uh, Queen's Gambit is like? Because it's on my – no, I know you want to give a, a full review uh, next episode, but is this a show that I – like I'm thinking of watching it this uh, this holiday season. Yeah. Should, I, should I be excited about it? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, good call. Look, for both those shows, The Crown Season 4 and Queen's Gambit, both, I'd say, get in amongst it. They're both superb. Queen's Gambit is very different to what – I perhaps had anticipated it might be. Um, just, I, I don't know why I had any anticipation really, but yeah, it's sort of it's set in the, in the sixties, and it's very different to anything else I've watched. It's got me really excited about chess, um, and it's it's really well written. The the acting standards are really high. There's some storylines which. Uh, you wonder which direction it's going to go and you start to really worry what direction it might go and then it doesn't go that direction. And it's 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 great. I, I can't speak highly enough. We're watching an episode a night of, of each, Queen's Gambit and The Crown, and it's uh, it's really great. It's really good quality. It, um, it may even feature in, you know, when we look back on our year, it may even, it may feature in my my sort of top shows of 2020. I'm not sure, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's great stuff. Awesome, awesome. Well, I've watched a, a couple of things, Paul, um, to be honest. Uh, one show under duress, which I'm going to talk a little bit about in a moment. I've watched a movie, um, and I've started the new TV show as well. But the one I'm actually going to start with, and just a little bit of context before I talk about it, is my partner Samara has been talking about uh, a TV show, which season two is coming out soon, and the TV show is called A Discovery of Witches. Now. This isn't my normal genre of television shows. Uh, I think it's drama, fantasy, romance. Now, she look. look I'm I'm going to come across really offensive here, uh -oh. but hopefully she gets a laugh out of it, and I don't spend Christmas in the dog box. <laughs> she has been wanting to watch the show. She's excited for like rewatch. She's already seen the season. She wanted to watch it again. Mm -hmm. She's excited for season two. Uh, she wants me to watch it with her. Obviously, I feel like I choose a lot of TV that we watch in our in our house, and she's always on board. Um, I don't know whether she's uh, moaning and groaning to her friends about it, but um, she picked this show, and I really didn't enjoy my time with it. Now, I think it's a little bit because I feel like she set me up, and she said to me, you know what? I know it's not your genre, but I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to enjoy it because it's, it's quite smart and quite clever. So the whole time I'm watching this TV show, and it, it's only eight episodes, like, and by no, like, it's not terrible. Like, it, it, it's completely watchable. But I kept waiting for this smart, clever twist. And what she meant by smart and clever and twist is that basically it's kind of about alchemy and history and books. That's the smart, clever twist to it all that's not a smart clever twist Paul that is just drama fantasy romance and it's kind of your classic witches versus vampires versus demons it's 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 got a few um interesting sort of action scenes but it's lots of sort of um moody angsting and characters who kind of have these you know century-long kind of battles and kind of, I don't know, throwing evil looks at each other and I don't know, Paul. Uh, the tea wasn't good for me at all. 
the tea wasn't good. Oh, that's never good. Okay, I'm I haven't heard of this, and I'm just reading it as you've been talking. And look, it scores highly. It's up there in the eights uh, on IMDb. Uh, the cast looks pretty strong. Teresa Palmer, I remember her from I Am Number Four. And Matthew Good, I really like uh, from from Downton Abbey and uh, Imitation Game in particular. So the casting looks good. I yeah, look, I've said to you before, um, maybe not into the the whole genre of, of witches vampires there's a lot of things i sort of put into that but um so i'm not sure if it would be for me either but uh i wonder if it was oversold this is something i do all the time which is not good to hear when i'm sort of co-host on a podcast but i often oversell a series i say to someone oh you've got to see this you've got to watch this this is the greatest and then people go away and watch it and they come back and go oh it was all right and i look at them like what's wrong with your life how can you be reacting like this what's wrong with you this is the greatest tv show ever so uh yeah yeah and look just to really just so people don't think i'm a complete piece of garbage i'm probably going to watch season two with her i feel like you know I'll do it and I'll probably do it kind of like begrudgingly. Um, and look, she's having a great time. She absolutely loves it. She loves this whole genre of um, books as well. So I imagine if you're also into, into the genre, it, it probably is something quite good for you. I think for me, it was probably just a little bit too light on sort of deeper characterization and just moving the plot forward at a, at a bit of a, a faster pace. But uh, I'm really just having a laugh. Hopefully she's laughing along with me, as I say. Um, but it's it, it wasn't something I I overly probably would have like leaned into. But yeah, I don't know, Paul. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with it. I think you and I are quite lucky with our um, respective partners in terms of because it seems like we both get shows across the line quite frequently in terms of oh, what should we watch next? I think we should watch this. I think we both do quite well. So. Uh, if, oh, yeah. if once in a while there's a show that doesn't hit the mark, that's not too bad, right? Indeed, indeed, and look, and it's actually filmed pretty well, and it's uh, like like the acting's good, and like the the there's better special effects in this than there is in some episodes of The Walking Dead, so it's got that going for it. Um, anyway, that's probably, that's probably enough that I can say about it. Season two, I believe, is coming out um, in early early next year, so no doubt I'll be back with some additional thoughts. And season three, I was just reading there, season three's just been announced recently as well, so you've got a third season coming too. Amazing, Paul. Amazing. So um, moving on, I have also started watching uh, Big Mouth, uh, season four, I believe, that we're in. So Big Mouth is on Netflix, uh, stars Nick Kroll, uh, John Mulaney, etc. Um, at Always a always sort of a, a, a funny show. I think it it did some really cutting edge things when it first came out. It's I'm enjoying this season. Um, it's got a few laughs and things um, as you kind of go along. I do feel like and they've actually got a few. I think they've actually signed up for like six seasons, so there's a lot more of it to come out. The characters are kind of interesting. I just don't think it's got the same. Um, gasp laugh, laugh, uh, laugh out loud shock uh, shock factor that it maybe had when it when it first came on but i'm still having a good time and it's you know you know what we'd like to say paul it's a good palate cleanser it's a you know don't have to think too much about it it's always something crass going on in that show so i'm just sort of slowly making my way through that i'm about halfway through at the moment i love i love bergmouth i um it's not a show i watch at home uh it's not something that 
we watch together. And so then I struggle with where can I watch this show? Because I sometimes commute to work when I'm working in the office and sitting next to someone on the train. Sometimes for an animated show, it can just look really weird to someone who might look over at my screen occasionally. And uh, I, I've loved this show and I am excited about the fact they've got a fifth season coming out next year as well. Um, I'm not surprised though to hear you say that maybe the shock factor's gone because there's almost like how far can they take this this genre, this particular type of story? Um, I just don't know, but it's it's always great fun. It's always entertaining. I, I think too, like Nick Kroll's got a, a great sense of humour, and he, I, I just love the way that he, voice, he voices all of those different characters. Um, but yeah, look, it's it, it's a good watch. I, I think you're right, Paul. Not one to be watching on the train um, while people are looking over your shoulder, but when you do get a, a moment of peace in your life. Uh, definitely have a bit of a laugh along with this one. Mm. And I've watched one other thing. I've watched a new movie. So um, I watched this movie on iTunes, so I actually had to rent it. It's a movie that I've been looking forward to watching for quite a while. I was hoping to see it at the cinema uh, and never quite made it happen. This is the New Zealand movie Savage. So uh, the sort of the synopsis of this movie. It's inspired by true stories of New Zealand street gangs across 30 years. And Savage follows a character called Danny at three defining moments in his life as he grows into a uh, grows from a boy into the violent enforcer of a gang. Now, it's always interesting watching a New Zealand movie because there's there's a certain level of I don't know what it is, and I don't know whether other um, other people from other countries feel the same way. Like I'm sure you don't, if you're an American, you're probably not like, Oh, that's so American. But when you're a Kiwi, when you hear the Kiwi accent and when you see um, Kiwis act, sometimes there's just that kind of like slightly cringy moment. But I thought this movie was, you know, I actually really enjoyed it. It's pretty, pretty dark, particularly as it sort of moves um, through the main character, Danny, who actually called him Damage as, a, as an adult, um, through his life, particularly as a, as a young child in uh, different different homes. And it's it's pretty horrific. Um, and, and even his life as, a, as an enforcer for a gang. It's, it's actually a story I found myself wanting to know more about all of the different characters. I... You know, it's kind of a, a quick, you know, kind of, you know, it's only an hour 40 long, so you're only getting a little bit of these characters, but there's, there's so many interesting things going on there. It's filmed in Wellington, which is uh, where we live, Paul, in case you didn't know. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, no, look, it, it, it's good, I think, if you're interested. And in, it's kind of got a little bit of a, a Once Were Warriors vibe to me, actually. Maybe not quite as, as dark as Once Were Warriors, but definitely in that in that genre. Um, and it's, yeah, look, it's, a, it's an interesting watch. Mm, and, of course, the, the main character is, is Pakeha. He's, he's white, and I, I guess that gives it a different flavor. I, I saw an interview on one of the TV stations here in New Zealand for this when it came out and I, I sort of, it did really sort of catch my eye and I, I've yet to see it, but uh, I see the ratings on it are sort of varied across the board. Um, the the writer director is just from a, a suburb near us called Potiwa, uh, which is always cool. I, f- I feel compelled to watch it as I always do with New Zealand movies. Um, it certainly seemed from what I saw of it quite brutal uh, and 
I think that's obviously comes with the territory for this type of a film. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really keen to give it a go. Uh, and like you say, an hour and forty, it is an easy watch. I I I don't I don't struggle with the New Zealand accents as much as I think born and bred New Zealanders perhaps do. So I, as a if, in case you didn't know, as a foreign import to New Zealand. <laughs> Don't struggle with that as much, but I, uh, yeah, I, I've I've heard Diana say the same thing. It's kind of a, it just sounds weird, and I think uh, it makes it a, it makes a nice change though to watch something that, with your with all due respect to America and the UK or you know what have you, that that is from somewhere else, particularly when it's from here. Yeah, I think they did a, a fantastic job with the trailer for this movie. Uh, Sam Kelly, who directed and uh, also wrote wrote Savage, does a really good job at sort of really throwing you into into this character damage and really sort of taking you on this journey. Um, and, and you're right, like it has kind of got some you know, middle of the road reviews, but I think uh, I think as a as a New Zealander, it's it's really interesting, given a lot of things going on, um, particularly in our in our government space at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of an interesting insight, and I don't know what it is, but that whole gang culture just kind of fascinates me because I feel mm-hmm. like it's such there's so many untold stories from it, and I think this actually lists the rock on it. And I would be really interested to see more. Yeah, no, I get it, and I like the idea that it's inspired by those true stories as well that always gives it uh, you know it gives i feel like it will give me some insight into just like you uh, a part of this country that i i just don't have a a clear view on i like the idea that it's so i see it set across 30 years but then it sort of like follows three defining moments so i quite like that idea as well that sounds quite compelling look i it is a movie, though, after after I finished watching it, I did need the palate cleanser. I needed something to sort of bring me back up, like put on an episode of Discovery of Witches so that I can, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> feel, let me, like, feel a little bit of, like, different emotion for a little while. So those are the three things that I've kind of been dabbling with. A little bit like you, Paul, have been quite busy over the last uh, week or so, so I haven't got through as, as much as, as maybe I, I normally do, but as I've been saying for a few weeks now, we're going to have some time off soon. And I feel like I'm really going to dive into a few TV shows. That's going to be great. So tell me this, Dan, have you watched the latest episode, I wonder, of The Mandalorian? Have I watched The Mandalorian, Paul? I've watched it. Um, Jeez, what? This is great. So this is Chapter 15, Hmm. The Believer. Um. We're obviously going to be diving into a bit of spoilers, so if this is not for you, you might want to look at the time codes down in the bottom and jump forward. But this was our episode where uh, the Mandalorian basically goes on a hunt for Mayfield, who's played by Bill Burr, and basically signs him up to come on a a mission to uh, basically try and track down where is Grogu, the child. And by all accounts, this was another fantastic episode, Paul. So much happened. What did you think? I really liked it as well. As you say, so much happened. I feel like, and we did the usual rewatch as well, you know, for someone who comes into this podcast saying, oh, I haven't watched much this week. I always managed to watch The Mandalorian twice, you know, got my priorities right. I feel like a lot happened. I feel like some of the recent episodes have been so spectacular and so great that this episode 
could could be described as as not to that standard. I feel like it's certainly not a filler. It's really, really good. It's just that the others are what I would say are almost at a legendary status if you haven't already got that vibe from what we've been saying over the last couple of weeks. I, I loved it. Uh, there's, there's so much I want to dive into on this with you on the chat. Um, but yeah, another great episode. Yeah, I think you're right. Like I think I... I think there was better episodes than than this particular one, but only because we've had so many great episodes, it made me sort of think, oh god, is this is this what I wanted for the penultimate episode? But again, like you, when I rewatched it, it's definitely solid. And you know, once again, we got to see um, uh, Pedro Pascal take his helmet off. We got to see so many great action scenes. I think we got a little bit of a taster of how uh, the Mandalorian uh, is actually going to be able to wield that uh, spear, I think, mm. potentially in the final episode, because the way he was taking out some of those pirates, incredible. It was incredible. It wasn't It wasn't quite as incredible as how Boba Fett was taking out Stormtroopers uh, the week before, but it was, it was incredible. And, uh, yeah, what you said about uh, Mando taking his helmet off, that was well done. Diana made the comment that it was really – clever how they wove that into the story without sort of you know it gave it a purpose the reason why he had to take the the helmet off within the episode you know he basically had a choice he could he could keep it on and keep his honor or whatever else that goes with that or he could but it, the, the cost of that would have been he would have lost the opportunity to to find the child so he made the call that had to be made and that's what we love about Mando. he always makes the right call I think too, and like you know, we've had the, you know, the, the great shootout from inside the inside the base, and I feel like it kind of almost had a bit of a uh, Han Solo Greedo kind of vibe um, of uh, shooting the uh, the uh, other. What, what rank was he? Like a captain or not irrelevant who cares but either way half measures yeah. <laughs> either way like just such a, a wild scene and then once they once they bust out the windows we've got um we've got Cara Dune we've got Fennec basically like sniping people we've got Slave One dropping uh impulse bombs ah quality quality when when Slave One dropped that seismic charge as soon as he dropped it I was just waiting for that noise. And then you get that beautiful noise that we haven't heard since Attack of the Clones, I don't think. Uh, it's I, I love that part. Um, Fett, back in his repaired and repainted armor, um, just so much goodness uh, in, the, in, this, in this episode, right from the, the very start. I just, there's so much detail that you just need to pause the, the, the show. You almost need to do a third watch and, and pause the, like the scrap metal yard that they had at the start. You know, like instead of like a car yard of cars being crunched, it's basically TIE fighters and old ships. There's so much detail in the background when you look there. It's just, it's just fantastic. Um, I've got two questions for you. So one, I think in the scrap yard, uh, I thought it was quite aggressive of the, the guard, um, the wrote the, the droid guard who was basically, you know, about to take um, some aggressive action if uh, Bill Burr didn't didn't go with uh, with Cara Dune, and I, for some reason, I I feel like always it's always portrayed how how much more wholesome uh, the Rebel Alliance is, and I think showing a showing that guard in that way kind of, I, I guess it makes sense, but it was kind of like, oh, I would. 
are we the bad guys? You know, like it kind of had like a, you know a little bit of that vibe to it for me. No, very much so. The whole the the idea that the new republic comes in after the fall of the empire and everything's going to be fine again. You know, this this whole series is almost uh, an advert to sort of say that's that's actually not the case. This uh, this isn't how it works. And I felt that um, Mayfield, the character that Bill Bird played sort of touched on that a few times throughout the episode when he's sort of like you know these guys don't care if we're empire or if we're new republic they just you know we're just we're just on their planet what does it matter to them who we are and you know you're from mandalore you're from alderaan you've both got these views but do you know what does it really matter and uh, yeah i i found his character really interesting coming into this again um having you know seen him in in the first season uh i do struggle with him when he gets excited and or angry because I, he just basically becomes frank from f is for family that that is all i hear but i thought he was really really good he pushes people's buttons he does add that bit of comedy in as well and his relationship is uh with with with, with mando is fantastic right from the start when fett comes down the the sort of the the entrance and is he looks sees him and he's like oh for a minute i thought you were another guy and then mando comes down and he's like oh oh great it's brilliant I agree. I agree. I think Bill Burr, Bill Burr's um, sort of he's got that when he goes sort of into those full like monologue. I think you're right. He does he does bring out the Frank from Efforts for Family, but he's just he's got such great witty banter, and I just I love that. I bet you he sort of ad libs a lot of those scenes, and I bet you there's there's some great stuff that comes out of it. I, I reckon he does too, and I can't wait to see. They did the the gallery on Disney Plus um, for season one. And I can't wait to see what might come out in terms of whatever behind the scenes. Because, yeah, I felt like there were some moments where it it just, maybe it was just fantastic rising, but some of it did feel a little bit ad-libbed, um, particularly his his obvious hatred of, of Cara Dune when he, you know, he's getting into the truck and as he's shutting the door, he's kind of like, oh, it's a shame you're not coming with us. I bet you'd be real fun in one of these. You know, just like, it's just, it's the sort of thing that we haven't heard from any other character. And, the, and his delivery of the lines is, is great. Can I just ask you a question how often do we see something in star wars in live action where something is on the ground on wheels so we got these guys yeah you know, we, we were seeing so much in mandalorian you know, we had the boat the other week on the ocean this week we've got something on tires on the ground that feels like it's as close as to what we might have in this world and i'm thinking other than gin in Rogue One, when she's being transported as a prisoner, I'm trying to think of have we ever had anything on wheels before in live action? I, I don't know. I couldn't think of any. No, we're normally uh, we're normally crawling, aren't we, or some yeah. type of AT AT or some type of sort of uh, from. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you're right, and that, that's quite different, isn't it? For yeah, uh, I, I really appreciate I really appreciate that sort of thing. Um, there's there's so many things I could dive into. I made a note here of. Have you picked up on the accents of the Imperials? I have noticed that every single Imperial that we have seen in this series, just like we saw with uh, with, um, with Titus Welliver the other week, all of the Imperials that we're meeting are all American. And when I think of the old Empire, the old evil Empire, they all seem to be British and very well-spoken, you know, sort of officers. But they're, 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 they're all – and I just found that quite an interesting dynamic as well, sort of post-Empire – They've all got that different accent. I, I, maybe it's complete coincidence, but I've just noticed that. Good to see Shore Troopers again as well. I haven't seen them in a while. I think the other thing we saw in this episode, which we don't often see from the um, from from the Empire side, is when everyone 
um, is saluting and everyone was kind of mm -hmm. cheering actually yeah. that they made it through the pirates. And you actually don't see those more um, human moments from from the other side. It, absolutely, really good point. When they when he came when they came into the the base and they sort of escaped the pirates and those pirates are coming pretty strong. And in the end. Thank goodness for the TIE fighters, right? You know, it was amazing to have them be saved by TIE fighters. But yeah, you're right. That celebration and that that human feel. Um, a, a few podcasts back, I talked about um, Inferno Squad, the book, uh, the novel. And this is the closest thing I've seen on live action Star Wars that, that represents what that book did for me. And that is making you feel the human side from the Empire's point of view and how they have a purpose that they genuinely believe in. And it was really well, you really felt that when they sort of came into that that base. It was great. So my other question for you, Paul, that I um, have been saving up is, what do you think of um, Boba Fett repainting his armour? I really liked that battered look. The um, and this we, we'll dive into this in the mailbag a bit. Actually, I really liked that look. I thought it was good. It aged it appropriately. Tamir Morrison has aged. Boba Fett has aged. The arm has aged. It all felt correct and how it should be. So seeing it so cleanly painted was good. But then my issue with it was you should never have asked me this question. Then my issue with it was is that the grey was much darker, and I feel like if he'd gone into a resine or whatever the paint equivalent paint shop equivalent is in the Star Wars world, and sort of they, you know, if you looked at the color, it, it should be a lot lighter. I felt it should have been a lot lighter than that, and so it was almost too clean. It was almost too new, but at the same time, I did love seeing him back to sort of. A new hope when we sort of first saw him in that sort of in the special edition it was good to see that but yeah i kind of i kind of missed that battered look i was really getting used to that what about you yeah uh it's, it's interesting isn't it because we've never really seen a pristine uh boba fett in, in his armor mm. and you know the armor was still battered it obviously still had its uh its dent in the, in the helmet I guess it, it kind of raised a bunch of questions for me around when did he have time to do that where did <laughs> Where did he find a resin? Like we're we're trying to get Grogu back here, guys. There ain't yep. time for for armor painting. And I actually thought it he looked more badass with with the battle damaged armor. Mm. And I think having it freshly painted kind of made him look a little bit, you know, all the gear, no idea. Like he's just he's just arrived. He's new, which is which is we know that's not true. We know Boba Fett's the the real deal, but um. Yeah, no, it kind of it kind of threw me a little bit. I, I I don't really have a big problem with it either way, but it did it did raise a couple of questions for me. No, good good observation. Uh, the the other thing I noticed that you picked up on was um, you know Mando fighting, and sort of we might have an idea of what it would be like when he fights with the with the Beskar spear, but without that Beskar armor, when he was fighting those pirates, so many of his trademark moves that he was trying to use he can't rely on those moves without his armor because you know he was getting hurt in the process of carrying out his own moves so that was really clever how he had to sort of adapt his approach to take those guys out because they kept coming they kept coming i had a feeling that that final wave would have been just too much for him to handle if it wasn't for the tie fighters so uh very interesting to see him because of course you know season one at the start he didn't have all that beskar all over him so he, he and he's i don't know you kind of get used to it i guess it was interesting 
I actually thought he was going to lose his helmet uh, on on that fight scene on on top of the vehicle, just because they were those pirates were coming as you say so thick and fast. Mm. And I thought, oh my god, he's going to lose his helmet, or at least like part of his helmet was going to smash, and we were going to see some of his face. Question: Another question for you. What what's up with um, the Mandalorian's little mustache? Like, do we need it? What? Why do we have it? What's going on there? <laughs> do we need it? Well. We're going to have a supplementary podcast this week all about the Mandalorian's moustache, so do tune into that one on Tuesday. Um, no, we won't. Uh, Dan, what are you talking about? He's got a moustache. He wants a moustache. He has a moustache. Pedro Pascal has a moustache. I I know him with the moustache when I think about things I've seen him in. It suits him as well. Uh, I guess you're not a fan of the moustache. No, no, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just being a jerk. I think, like, you know, this, the moustache is a classic Pedro Pascal trademark. I think it's, a, it's a bit like the when did you have time to get the paint for your armor? Why are you growing this little moustache under your helmet when you never take your helmet off? Like, it, it just, I, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me, Paul. All of these additional questions come to mind, and I need answers to them. And I don't know what's wrong with me. I've got this vision of you and I you know suddenly attending in a in a post covid universe world uh, some convention and you're you're queued up and you've got to, you've got to ask a question to the whole mandalorian cast and, and john favreau and dave filoni on stage and you, you come out with one of the hi oh, it's uh, it's dan here from new zealand <laughs> and you come out with one of those questions i'm just going to i'm just going to get back on the next plane home well, when um, when Disney finally brings us on board to consult, um, they'll be like, oh, you're the moustache guy, right? Right, yeah, yeah, good call, good call. I think we should deal with that. You know, we'll Superman that bad boy off and it'll, we'll, we'll, we'll fix the things. <clears throat> no, look, good episode, Paul. I think prof- any final thoughts? I wonder whether we, you had any predictions as well for the final. Mm. I, I don't really have any predictions because I, I just keep going off into all kinds of different scenarios and some of the things that have happened in the last seven days with the news, with these other stories, which we'll talk about a little later, have changed what might have been my predictions based on, okay, so if that's going to be a thing, maybe we won't have that in this episode. Um, the other thoughts I had, I just, um, I love the cut to the uh, to Gideon's ship and just classic Star Wars, you know, whenever you, you cut to an Empire ship, you, you always see them from underneath and they always look menacing. Great, great to see that continued. And Mando's message for Gideon that he sent him, so 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 well done. The reuse of the words that Gideon had used, try and throw it back in his face, and just representing the entire audience by saying, "You have no idea what this what this child means to me." Yeah, it's it's um, it's great. It was it was really 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 good. And I just also wanted to say I really appreciated that they gave this episode to to Rick um, Rick Fayuma, who who wrote and directed the. The, the season one episode, chapter six, The Prisoner, where we first met Mayfield. So I guess it made sense that he did this one too. I felt it was good good continuity for character and for writer. Did you also notice, Paul, that this was the, the first episode where we actually haven't seen the child, we haven't seen Grogu? I did not notice that. You're absolutely right. Apart from the little recap at the start, of course, you're absolutely right. We didn't. That's 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 amazing, actually, because he's been so central and he's been, as you said, so it's, it's a two-man show in, in some respects, the, the, the child and Amanda. Uh, that's amazing. I, I didn't notice that. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Really clever. Got him. I, I love it when I get you, Paul. I know. I my, head, I, my head's not computing. It's going to explode at some point. Yeah, yeah. Also, my but favorite think- line. Okay, go. My favorite line, which I think is one of the funniest lines in all of Star Wars that I can think of, 
was um, when they were talking about who should go and they turned to Boba Fett and he's just like, let's just say they might recognize my face. It's just, it's so funny because if you get it, because you've watched Attack of the Clones, you've what you know, the history, then you get it. And if you, if you haven't watched those things, then you're just hearing someone say, Oh no, I can't go. They might recognize my face, but just brilliantly done. Yeah, no, that was, that was top quality. Um, I think so, you know, so obviously that would be now our first episode without Grogu. I wonder, and you know, this is something I talked about last week. I am not confident that um, the Mandalorian, Din, is going to be able to save Grogu uh, at the end of this next episode. And I wonder whether this is them kind of warming us up to actually uh, the Mandalorian and friends can do other things. We don't have to have the, the child in every episode. Time will tell. I think, I think you're right about we won't necessarily have him save Grogu in this in this this season finale. I think that, that they're going to extend that out and we're going to be forced to wait a long time to find out what happens next. Uh, I don't, I still don't know. Because, okay, you got me, got him. You got me with the whole Grogu wasn't in this episode. Well done. But I think I would have picked up on it if he wasn't in the next one. I think I would have been like, you know, we haven't seen the chart. So I, they're packaged there, uh, I, 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 yeah. Well, I, I think what we're going to get is, I think, you know, I think we'll definitely see him in the next episode, and I think we'll see him in the show. I think, but we won't until, um, until the Mandalorian gets Grogu back. I like, you know, there, there could be periods where we're kind of getting those scenes where we're seeing um, Grogu, you know, force slam stormtroopers um, for his own amusement. Because I, like, I'm still actually, I think, a bit of a believer that. The Mandalorian is going to get a beatdown in this episode, and I think the whole of season three is going to be focused on him kind of rebuilding who he is, what he's about. And I think what we've been seeing over the last two seasons is the Mandalorian, he was such a a pure, strong believer as a, a, a child of the Watch. And I think with the different characters that he's been meeting, with the different experiences he's been having, he's starting to really, I think, challenge uh, some of that thinking, some of the things that he's been told, some of the uh, rhetoric that's obviously been pushed on him. And I think what we're going to see in season three is Dan become who he wants to be, not who he's been told to be. Dan Whiting there reporting live from the Lucasfilm writer's room. I think I think you've got a real good edge on that. I, I like the angle you've, you've taken. I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think you could be very well correct. Um, I... I, yeah, I have, I have thoughts, and I might talk about that a little bit when we go into the news, just about some of the, the, the things that are coming out about the timing of what might happen next, or, or or what characters may play out in certain ways. But uh, I do feel then, if I'm going to be sort of to, to be brave and predict that in this final episode, we we will see Ahsoka, we will we will see her and Bo-Katan both come at Gideon and I feel like it's not going to end well for someone. I don't know that necessarily we're, we're going to look at a, 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 a kill, but I feel like someone's going to be in a lot of trouble and it won't just be Grogu who will be wondering what's going to happen with that person in 12 months time. So I, I don't think we're going to get Ahsoka because I think we've still got our Jedi reveal 
um, for whatever happens at the end of the episode. But I do think there's a chance that we could get more Bo-Katan mm. because I think Bo-Katan is the perfect person to um, to help the Mandalorian. Now, one thing that did surprise me with, uh, with this episode is that I thought he would have offered uh, Mayfield a chance to come with him because I kind of feel like yeah, Mayfield, like you're, you're now free, go live your life. But I kind of thought they might have had a bit of a, a bond and a relationship now. They've obviously been on a few heist and adventures in the past. It would have been – but I guess, you know, the whole point was to kind of let him go and, you know, you've earned your freedom, blah, blah, blah. But it seemed like he would have been a good character to come and uh, squad up with. Okay, so my thoughts on that is that it didn't surprise me that he didn't invite him because I think his relationship, his friendship with Kara means more to him. And, and of course, Kara – in her new capacity, cannot be seen to be, you know, having let Mayfield have escaped. You know, he's he was killed, and so as far as she's concerned, he's he's gone. So Mando wouldn't wouldn't have Mayfield as part of that. But what I do feel is that we won't have seen the last of him, and that he may come to potentially and probably for me Mando's rescue at some point not necessarily in the next episode, but in season three. And it will be just like how we forgot about Fennec was out there. Oh, there's Fennec. It'll be the same thing. Mando will be in trouble. And then all of a sudden it'll be Mayfield to the rescue. And it'll be great. Well, I, I guess, in fact, we could see Mayfield in some of these other series that we're, we're going to be talking about anyway. But God damn it, Paul, I love this TV show. I cannot wait to watch all of this in one big juicy hit. God, it's good. Oh, now the rewatch of season one prior to this was was gold, and I can imagine how great watching these back to back would be. Um, it is it is amazing. I do feel like it's quite likely it may feature in my top ten TV shows for twenty twenty. I would say, blessed be the fruit. That's all I can say. Correct. All right, must be time for our movie of the week. Correct. So. Each week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie for us both to watch and review. We then post the the name of that movie and the poster in our Discord community. So if you're interested, you can watch along with us and then listen to our review. And this week, Dan, what was the movie of choice? This week, Paul, we watched the 2019 movie Bombshell. So this is a biography drama genre, and it's about a, a group of women that take on Fox News head Roger Ailes in the to toxic atmosphere he presided over at the network. So the stars are Charlize Theron, Nicole Kidman, and Margot Robbie. Well, this movie, Dan, was quite disturbing. It was... Uh, for me, it was a very, uh, very uncomfortable watch, I would say. Uh, so, yeah, disturbing, uncomfortable. For those two reasons alone, I'm really glad that um, that we made this our movie of the week, to be honest. I thought it was uh, a movie that needed to be watched. I, th I think, to, if I dive quickly in, I thought Charlie Theron was particularly strong in this movie. And, we, you know, we've already done a peak performance on her in one of our earlier podcasts this year, but I, I really feel like this movie would make it into a revised three, two, one for me, for her. I thought she was superb. And I thought, yeah, I thought this movie was just definitely, it just needs to be watched. What do you think? Yeah. Look, I think this movie was disturbing. I am 
glad it's a movie in the sense that it's bringing light to some of these pretty horrible and disgusting things that have happened at the same time absolutely kind of disgusting and horrible that these things are still happening and you know when's this 2016 27 like you know this is this is current day and it's just it's so horrible to think that we still live in in a world where this type of behavior is kind of deemed okay particularly in that sort of like old boys network like it's kind of gross um obviously so john lithgow um plays kind of our our our, our bad guy as such who plays uh, uh roger ailes and he is definitely slimy and creepy and disgusting um and i think he 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 plays that uh villain role incredibly well i think our our uh, our female leads. Uh, I I didn't even recognise Shelley's Theron. Mm. In fact, for half an hour of that movie, I was like, "That's not Shelley's, is it? Like, is she still coming up? Like, this can't be her." And every time, I was kind of like, "This, it, she just looks so different to me. This is not, um, this is not the Shelley's that that I know from so many other movies, like Mad Max and, and things like that." Even Nicole Kidman, I thought, played a a role that, um, a, a, quite quite different for her and. Margot Robbie obviously is as our other major lead, and I actually thought this could borderline be a uh, um, an origin story for Harley Quinn. You know, the the way that her her character is treated and the way that she kind of gets victimized, and and yeah, it's it's a ride, Paul. It's a ride. Yeah, Diana and I had the same thing. We both were like, "Is that Shalice? What have they done?" And the, uh, the 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 makeup, the lighting, the prosthetics, or whatever they they'd used were 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 superb, and we were looking at. Afterwards, we were looking at photographs of their real-life counterparts, and it was quite extraordinary, actually. Um, I, yeah, talking of peak performances, I would actually definitely say this is the best performance I've seen from Margot Robbie. To be honest, uh, interesting enough, her character was actually created for the purpose of this movie, uh, and so her character is entirely fictitious. But her role, I felt, added a lot of weight to the story. You know, I felt her performance in particular provides a really uh, a really stark and frank understanding of how horrific it must have been for so many young women who, who you know who wanted to progress their career within this organization and i guess i um kind of like what you said and i you know i apologize if i come off maybe a little uninformed or or ignorant maybe but i i i found it shocking that these events on this scale and frequency occurred in the here and now uh and that's not to say that it would have made it acceptable um, when it was happening in in the seventies or any other time for that matter. It was, I was just horrified that in this, what was this? This, of course, it was twenty sixteen. Of course, it was the Trump campaign. Yeah, in this in this environment existed and had existed for many years within such a such a prominent organization. You know, the other thing I um, I think they did. Uh, well in this film is obviously this this centers quite a bit around Trump and some of the things that happened in the in the lead up to um, him becoming the the president and the way that they used I guess like you know news footage or debate footage without actually ever having someone portray Trump uh, on on camera mm. and I thought that was, it was quite well done um, I felt like there was a few moments where I kind of felt they were glossing over some sort of key story bits but overall like I, I found this a apart from how gross it was quite an enjoyable watch yeah no I, I would say the same certainly a compelling watch and i found uh 
many other people in the cast really, really good. I felt Kate McKinnon, uh, who I've not seen in anything serious before. She's just, for me, she's Saturday Night Live and she's Ghostbusters and she's she's comedy. And I thought she was really good. I thought Malcolm McDowell did a really good Rupert Murdoch. I thought he was fantastic. And, I, you know, despite the fact that he played such an awful character, I thought John Lithgow was just brilliant in, in that in that role and um, made it uh, made that it, it was it, his his performance made that that whole uncomfortable disturbing feel throughout just his and then you know his wife just the the sheer ignorance of what was going on and just like when she realized at the end that this was all true because of course Nicole Kidman's character had had recorded everything just just a look on her face of like, uh, you know, like a wasted life. And um, interesting as well that I noted at the end on those credits when they talked about the amount of money that got paid out to all of, all of those women still was less than the severance package that was, that was paid to, to Roger and to uh, someone else. I've forgotten. Sorry. Um, But yeah, just basically, you know, that money was, still yeah not that money's going to solve anything but just the still the fact that roger ended up getting a, a severance package bigger is it's just wrong mm-hmm. no look it's 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 wild isn't it but i think you know just on that point of john lithgow i think he plays such a great bad guy one of my favorite uh john lithgow bad guy experiences is actually on dexter the tv show i think it's about season four which is probably one of my favorite seasons of that show and he's just a stone cold badass um and it's he he's a he's a he's a master he he's really good and i again another comment we said after we watched it was i feel like i haven't seen enough of him because when i've i've seen him play winston churchill in season three was it season three season two forget which season it was but in the crown his winston churchill was was just absolutely um superb he was amazing it was amazing in this. And when I think of him, unfortunately, from my perspective, I just think of him as, as third rock from the sun. And he's got so much more in his locker than that, which is another reason why the, the TV show Perry Mason uh, still sits on my watch list. Cause he, he's a, a recurring character in that as well. So um, yeah, he was, he was really, really good. Yeah, look, I think this was a, a, a good choice, Paul, something um, a little bit different, something obviously quite uh, topical because it's current. Obviously, there's still a lot of stuff going on in America, um, particularly around Trump. So kind of a, an interesting look uh, into what's happening in other parts of the world. So thanks for the recommendation. I, yeah, what do I, what do I give this on the guns of Kimbo scale? Maybe like a three guns, three guns for me? Yeah, I, th- I agree. Three, three yeah, I give it the same number of guns. Guns with no silencers. Let these gun, guns be loud and heard. Um, this, 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 yeah, this, this whole story was, as you say, really powerful. And through this medium of film, it, as you say, it sort of shines a light on just such a, an important issue of, you know, that corruption of power and wealth and ignorance and complicity of so many people. Yeah, go watch it. Well, Paul, it must be time for a little bit of news. Well, Dan, what have you got for me? <laughs> ping, pong, ping. All right, Paul, I've got a little bit of news uh, built up for you today. So 
Obviously, we've got a whole ton of uh, Disney and Marvel announcements, but I'm going to save that till the, the end of my news reads. Right. All right. So the first one is Disney Plus is adding Hulu content for international subscribers. And when I say international subscribers, that includes Australia, Canada, and New Zealand, and some European countries. So this is pretty exciting news. So over here in New Zealand, we don't have Hulu. We get some of the shows that uh, some some of you guys maybe get um, over, over in America particularly. Sometimes they'll put them on Amazon or our Neon or, or Netflix or anything. But pretty exciting that Disney Plus is adding Hulu because it means it's actually going to add uh, a, a additional category to Disney Plus that maybe ups the rating um, at the moment. Disney Plus is obviously fairly, I think, probably its highest uh, – movie would maybe be an, an M for mature audiences in New Zealand. So this is going to add a, a whole bunch of new content. And I think with everything Disney Plus has got going on, plus adding Hulu content, I actually think this could become quite a, a power player over in our, our market. I'm really intrigued to see what shows we're going to get from Hulu Plus. Uh, but it, yeah, hopefully it opens up some new doors for us. That's great. I'm very excited about that because yeah, Hulu, I always hear about the stuff on Hulu and uh more than that, it's going to mean that my subscription to Disney is now going to be worth more to me than just The Mandalorian. Because I have to be honest, other than my my kids watching Disney stories and and the uh, Pixar movies, we don't watch a lot of the Disney Plus. So uh, so that's great. Um, this bit of news you might be quite excited about, Paul. So uh, Google Chromecast is adding Apple TV to its functionality. So what that means is that you're going to be able to watch some Apple TV shows. On your Google Chromecast. Apple Excited? And, Apple and Google playing nicely together. 2020, Amazing. full of surprises. So we don't have any date on this yet, but it looks like it's going to be happening in 2021. And I guess what it means for um, Android fanboys like yourself is that you're going to be able to access some of the TV shows that you, you may not have been able to before. So congratulations. Android fanboy. What does that say about you? Is it, I'm not even going to – let's not go there. Don't indulge. Um, speaking of Apple TV, so you might remember quite a few episodes ago, I talked about a TV show on there called Servant by M. Night Shyamalan. And so they have just announced that, so season two hasn't come out yet, but they've already announced they're going to do season three. So that's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. um, pretty uh, spooky, mysterious program, Servant, about a, a young family and their sort of dealing with the, the death of a, a young child. So it's pretty good that they're – I always like it when we, I know we're going to – we're guaranteed a couple of seasons because it's almost like we know that they can sort of tell the story they want to tell. Now, Paul, do you remember a little show from the 80s called Night Court? No, I don't. Tell me more. On you then, so Night Court is a, is a TV show. It kind of followed on from the, the the Cheers genre, and it was basically about a an actual night court. Um, and it kind of it was a sitcom type series, um, and they dealt with a whole bunch of like cases, and you know there's various sort of like lawyers and anyway, this is whole losing it sparks, and you don't know what it is, but they're they're looking to do a a, a sequel sort of follow-up to night court so trying to sort of bring back some of that the 1980s sitcom love nice very nice do you remember a little show called um dinosaurs 
Yes, and I, I, I've got that on my news list as well. So this is the 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 nineteen nineties uh, series, um, which made by Jim Henson, who's famous for uh, bringing us the Muppets. So Disney Plus is bringing this show uh, back on the twenty ninth of January, I believe. I'm really excited to see if this show has aged. If it's still politically correct, I don't know. I remember very little about it other than thinking that the theme tune was great fun and, of course, the baby just shouting, not the mama, every time the the, the dad dinosaur came past. I definitely don't think it's going to be um, PC. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the quality is like because I think, you know, sometimes bringing these shows back, I'd be interested to know how many people watch it and, you know, is, is, the, is the tea good? But I guess we'll find out. Uh, what else have I got here? So you remember several news cycles ago, I talked about how there was going to be a, a live-action uh, Dungeons & Dragons movie. So it looks like Chris Pine has been signed up for that movie. We don't know what role he's going to be playing yet, but already a, a big name signing up is a, is a pretty exciting thing. So I imagine, um, I guess, early 2021, we might start hearing a bit more details about that movie and maybe some more casting. Awesome. And my one sort of final bit of news before we get into the, the Disney Marvel announcements is so recently on the set of Mission Impossible 7, uh, Tom Cruise had a, a bit of a an on-set rage about some crew that uh, were allegedly not following the safety protocols. So I've got a quote here that I'd like to read you out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in two parts, but, you know, you, you'll get you'll get the gist of it. That's it. No apologies. You can tell it to the people that are losing their effing homes because our industry is shut down. It's not going to put food on their table to pay for their college education. <laughs> That's what I sleep with every night, the future of this effing industry. So I'm sorry. I'm beyond your apologies. I told you now I want it. And if you don't do it, you're out. We're not shutting this effing movie down. Is it understood? If I see it again, you're effing gone. So this is the first part of the quote. And so what it's in relation to is apparently Tom Cruise saw two people standing pretty close together around a a screen and obviously too close for COVID restrictions. Mm. And so I'll just read you the second part of the quote. So that's it. Um, No, have a wait. No, I've done something. I've done something gammy with my notes and I've lost the second part of the quote. But anyway, the, the point being is Tom Cruise loses it with these guys and obviously he's he's trying to sort of keep this whole thing going. He's thinking about everyone else on the set. He doesn't want to see his movie shut down, so he wants everyone on there following those COVID restrictions. Apparently the, the internet's been having quite a bit of fun with this meltdown. Yeah. And if you remember one of the scenes from, oh, was it Tropic Thunder, where <laughs> Tom Cruise, yeah, and, and so there's a voiceover of that quote uh, and uh, and the Tom Cruise character losing it, which which I think is just top tier internet behaviour. Yeah, it really is. That's brilliant. I look, people are split by Tom Cruise. I feel like people either love him or hate him. I love him, and I think he's great. And I really support what he said and why he said it. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I you know, if I see it again, you're gone. If I had a dime for every manager that said that to me, I mean, it's. It's it's great, and I think it's uh, it. It reminds me. The last time I heard a big onset rant of that nature was uh, Christian Bale on Terminator Salvation. But 
I think the motivation there was a little bit different. So, uh, so, so, so good on him, I think. Well, look, and I think, you know, a big name like Tom Cruise is obviously, you know, having to convince producers, convince studios back home that they're, they're, they're doing all the right things. And I think he's got a fair point. Like everything they're doing, they need everybody playing by the rules so that, you know, that, so it doesn't get shut down because if it gets shut down, people aren't getting paid. So, Paul, before I move into these big mega lists of upcoming shows, is there anything that you wanted to cover? Yeah, for sure. So there's just a couple of things here. So uh, I heard that Mike Flanagan, uh, who directed The Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manors and also Doctor Sleep that we watched recently, he's just recently um, completed production on a, a new series that he's been involved with Midnight Mass, another horror series. So it may not be one for me, but I've, I saw him and I thought, oh, it could be one, one for you, Dan. Probably one for, for Diana as well, if I'm honest. Uh, I saw Archer season 11 has now dropped on Netflix. If you're a fan of the show, you, you probably already know about it. But honestly, this is one of the great animated comedies. Uh, I came to the party late on this one. I felt like I binged seven seasons in a month whilst I was traveling for work and it was incredible. So I'm hoping there's some time over Christmas for me to catch up on that. Uh, and oh, and lastly, uh, White Star Prime from Palmy North here in New Zealand brought to my attention a new Stephen Merchant series that's coming out next year called The Offenders, uh, which is great because we just don't have enough Stephen Merchant ever since him and Ricky Gervais had their fallout. It's kind of like uh, he just hasn't made as much stuff. And this is a comedy about seven strangers from different walks of life who are all forced together to complete uh, sort of community service. Um, so th- straight away, the the plot, the synopsis there, it sounds, sounds hilarious already. And then they've announced Christopher Walken is the lead actor. So I don't know how this can possibly f- fail, to be honest. So um, that one's coming out on Amazon Prime or on BBC One if you're in the in the UK. But, um, yeah, interesting. It's amazing. I love some Stephen Merchant. Um, and it's I think we've talked about this before, but I, I hate to hear that uh, actors or, or people who you know you know have been long-term friends have, have fallen out. Have you ever watched Stephen Merchant's show, Hello, Ladies? Absolutely. Gold. Brilliant. Gold. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to rattle through um, a whole bunch of announcements here um, from Disney. I'll start with the Marvel ones and then I'll move on to the Star Wars ones because I imagine we're probably going to talk a little bit more Mm. about those. We're not going to go too deep because uh, it's still early days. Okay, so on the the Marvel list, so we, we've been expecting quite a few Marvel shows, and obviously a lot of those would have come out this year if it wasn't for that little thing called COVID. But here we are anyway. So here's what we've got coming. So we've got One Division, which is actually coming out on the fifteenth of January. Pretty exciting times. We've got the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is basically sort of a continuation of the, our Captain America story. We've got Loki, obviously um, connected to Thor. We've got the What If series, which basically takes the concept of um, all of those Marvel superheroes that you know and kind of flips the script, like uh, what if uh, Iron Man was part of Guardians of the Galaxy or Mm. what if Groot was Captain America. So a whole bunch of kind of fascinating, cool stories that have been played out in comics but bringing it to the big screen. We've got Hawkeye, which we, we talked about last week with um, Haley Steinfeld, who's going to be taking over the role of Kate Bishop. We've got Miss Marvel. We've got Moon Knight. We've got She-Hulk. 
We've got Secret Invasion with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. We've got Ironheart. We've got Armor Wars. We've got I Am Groot. There's so many Marvel TV shows. This alone, you know, like, is, is probably enough to warrant a, a Disney Plus subscription. All of these shows are at quite different uh, places, I think. So not all of them we're going to get in 2021. But I, it's really exciting to know how much they've actually got on the back burner and how much they're investing into new content for this platform. I'm definitely excited about it. Yeah, the investment is impressive. The The number of shows is really a clear indication of where they you know, these these people aren't silly, right? They know how to make a buck or two, and they've 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 done the math, and they can see where they're gonna where they where they're gonna be successful. And uh, I love anything that ties movies together, the universes, and broadens it. I often hear people talk about, oh, you get oversaturated. They talk about they talk about how in the in the mid nineties, Star Trek was uh, there, there was too much Star Trek on TV and oversaturated it, and it was too much for the fans, and they couldn't cope. And what they were talking about there was basically running two series concurrently. So so what we're looking at now is something on a different scale. And like you said, it won't happen all in one year. But even so, the fact that it's there, I struggle to think that they will fail. I just think unless it won't be that they'll oversaturate the market or be if a show is not of the, the standard that it will fail. But I, I just feel like Marvel will get it right. I think they will get it right. I think Kevin Feige is pretty committed to it. I think that they're it's not like they're using um, B-tier actors and actresses to, to bring this to life. We, we're talking actual big screen Avengers that are going to be involved in, um, in some of these TV shows. And I think what's kind of cool about it is, you know, it's a huge universe now. And if you wanted to come in and consume all of it, um, more power to you but it's kind of almost sort of cut up in ways where if you just want to watch the avengers you can if you just want to watch the iron man part of it you can if you want to watch iron man and ant-man because they're your favorite then you can kind of just take those segments or those books and it's still kind of you you can watch them without having to really know the wider context of the universe yeah i uh I've got to be honest, I feel like I need to play some catch-up in the Marvel Universe. I've no longer got any excuses as well because it's all sitting there on Disney+. Plus. So here I am paying the subscription, slagging off the fact that I don't watch any of it. And I really need to – I feel like I need to – maybe I could be a 2021 commitment to this podcast is to watch a Marvel movie a week or something like that because uh, I need to I need to catch up. I feel like I'm behind the eight ball on this and uh, I, I don't want to not be a part of this new content. So uh, I've got my work cut out for me. I need some annual leave, Dan. Approved. All right. So not only are we getting all of this Marvel uh, content, we are getting a lot of new Star Wars TV shows as well. Now, there's a lot of shows here which bring about a lot of questions, a lot of excitement, but let me just rattle through this list. So we've got a little project called Obi-Wan Kenobi, which have just been announced that Hayden Christensen Anakin Skywalker is going to be coming back into as Darth Vader. Can't wait to see how that all plays out. We've got um, Ahsoka, which we've been talking about, sort of a long-rumoured uh, standalone TV show. This is going to be all connected to the Mandalorian universe, which is pretty exciting. We've got a new show called Rangers of the New Republic, another show connected to the Mandalorian universe. Uh, we've got Andor, which was one of the characters we saw in Rogue One. We've got The Bad Batch, which is another animated TV show um, based on the Clone Wars. We've got a show called Star Wars Visions. We've got a show called Lando, 
Lando, are we bringing back Donald Glover? These are the questions no one knows. We've got the Acolyte. We've got a droid story. We've got Rogue Squadron. Rogue Squadron, Paul, can you believe it? So much good Star Wars-ness coming to our screens. It's really hard to even know where to start. I could not believe the number of things that were being announced. And I was working at the time, and I, I struggled to shall we say, maintain my concentration at work as, as this was all being un- unfolding. The So firstly, to your question about Donald Glover, because that was my original question. I was like, we're not talking Billy D. Williams here, right? We're talking we're talking young Lando. And according to theguardian.com, Donald Glover will reprise his role as space smuggler Lando Calrissian for the TV series Lando. I don't quite know where they've got that from i haven't seen it anywhere else but the guardian generally reputable so because i think recasting lando would be uh, would be dangerous so uh, so i certainly hope so um interesting how they've defined the lando series they've defined it as an event series uh, i'm not sure what event means do you have any idea what that means well, I, I think what it could mean is uh, I think there's, there's a couple of things happening there. So they've talked about a few of these. Um, oh, actually, maybe there's two different points here. I think an event series could be a limited series, so much like Queen's Gambit or Watchmen. You, it might just be a, a one-off eight-episode show. And I think what could be quite cool is, remember at the end of Solo, we've got uh, Darth Maul. We've got a whole bunch of kind of interesting plot points there. That You know, we, we could be bringing back this all together and just we can we can be getting live action Darth Maul again I've got I've got with me here you'll see a paper bag for me to hyperventilate into because I knew that this moment would come I can't cope with with all of this Dan it's too much this this, it's so good this my mind goes in all kinds of directions because I started thinking about more I started thinking about the end of that movie and picking up there so it's called Lando but it's going to be bigger than Lando just like the movie Solo we've talked about how I can't stand the title Solo because it's so much more than Solo this Lando series is going to be so much more than Lando this Lando series has not been talked about as much as some of the others which I also want to talk about but I feel like Lando could be where the gold is because it's kind of for me what we talked about and what we've campaigned for out there on the streets, Dan, the, the make Solo 2 happen I think this is exactly what we're getting here Um, so I'm really excited about that there's so much in here i don't know where you want to dive into next um the i felt i felt really pleased that we got a a bit of a uh, what do they call it? like a sizzle reel for andor for the, the the cassian cassian andor series um and he seemed genuinely uh genuinely excited diego luna to, to play that character again um and that seems very very exciting that series yeah, look, I'm I'm pumped for I, I'm just pumped for so many of these. Um, the other there's other there's one other thing too that's um on the list as well is that obviously uh, Taika Waititi is obviously also working on mm-hmm. a, a yet to be titled uh, Star Wars um, movie or mm-hmm. who knows what he's working on. But what a time to be a Star Wars fan! And I think what they've talked about with I think it's particularly around Ahsoka. Um, ranges of the New Republic and one other one is that they're all going to sort of, and, and The Mandalorian, they're going to, is there one other show that's in that genre? But they're going to bring them all together as uh, a, a climactic kind of cinematic big masterpiece of how these are all going to connect. And when I hear that, I think about, you know, on movies, not movies, TV shows um, like Arrow or um uh, 
Supergirl or whatever, or the Flash, and they cross them over and they have kind of these big events. What awesome opportunities. Like how great is it going to be when we see the Mandalorian and Ahsoka, even just as a one-off, it, like, ah, God, I'm so, I'm so excited. It, re- it reminds me of um, when they did the crossovers with uh, Luke Cage, with Daredevil, with Iron Fist, with with Jessica Jones, with those guys sort of crossing over. That's, that's the sort of thing I think of. Um, and I think you're right. I think it is those three series, Rangers of the New Republic, Ahsoka and Mandalorian, all existing within that time frame. I, I read um, on IndieWire, Pedro Pascal was talking about um, he would he would love the opportunity to reprise that character in other shows. And he says, oh, yeah, fingers crossed. How could you not want to? This is this is like this is something that's got so much so much bigger than us and I want to be a part of it. So uh, that's exciting. We've, we've talked about, you know, the rumor of the, the reappearance of Ahsoka. And now we've got a, a live action series of Ahsoka. Um, that has the potential to be absolutely superb. Rangers of the New Republic is probably the one I feel like I know the least about, or in my mind, I don't have a clear idea about exactly what that might be about. I started to think, are we talking about um, Timothy Oliphant's character? Are we talking about Cara Dune? Are we talking about sort of, you know, these types of characters may may form an alliance? I, do, I just don't know, but um, I can't wait to see a teaser. The first thought that came to mind when I heard Rangers of the New Republic was, you know, how we've seen um, our two X-Wing pilots cruising around the galaxy in various episodes of The Mandalorian. I thought, are they kind of Rangers of the New Republic? Because they're out on the kind of the – I don't know if that's it, but that was my first thought when I I first heard the term. That checks out for me. That checks out. That makes a lot of sense. I think you're absolutely right. Um, The other thing that we must talk about is, again, we got a little bit of video of um, Patty Jenkins herself – being handed the keys to a to a Star Wars movie, Star Wars Rogue Squadron, that's that's a movie which just you know is going to excite a lot of people. A because Patty Jenkins is superb with with what she's done, particularly I think the standout obviously being Wonder Woman. Um, but you know the idea of a movie on a squadron, I think that could be really really. That's let's be honest, that's that's the fanboys right there. I. Even just talking about this movie, my whole body, like my whole spine tingles with excitement. And when I first saw the little video clip of her rollerblading up to her car, I was like, what the hell am I watching? But when I actually sort of like sat back, I'm like, yeah, this is epic. And then there's the X-Wing in the background and she's just like talking about her her dad and, you know, growing up around um, pilots and, you know, how, you know, this is the story that she wanted to tell. This is great. This is this. I think you've nailed it. This is a real story for the fans, and so excited. Like we we've talked about Rogue Squadron for such a long time. It's it, not on this podcast, but it, it, as fans, yeah, it's. I just oh yeah, the possibility of this movie being, I think, the most successful standalone movie thus far. I think is 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 quite is quite high and that's without any knowledge of what as you say Taika Waititi is working on without any knowledge of the trilogy that Ryan Johnson still has the keys to and that is still on the cards it's still there it's still a, it's still a thing it hasn't been ruled out I, I feel like the Rogue Squadron has the the ability to um to really bring in the bucks um very exciting uh, there's look, there's so much we haven't even talked about one of really the 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 big ones for me Obi-Wan Kenobi I mean that's the one that we we knew was out there up until last week. We knew that we were getting Cassian Andor. We knew that we had uh, the Mandalorian, and we knew we had this Obi Wan series. But 
the idea again they're, they're calling these tv shows by a person's name we've got solo we've got lando we've got obi-wan but you've got a limited number of episodes and you've got hayden christensen turning up as darth vader now this is set after revenge of the sith apparently 10 years after so he's in the suit right you know we're not he, there's there's no opportunity for him to not be in the suit his helmet i dare say will come off at some point 100 percent but we're talking Vader on a TV series. It's uh, we've seen it in Rebels, but this is different. And we've seen it in, uh, you know, um, Rogue One, but we haven't seen Vader in a while. And this is this is a real big one. Well, this this um, presents a lot of questions, doesn't it? Because you know, when we see in A New Hope, um, Obi Wan and Vader see like confront each other for sort of that that one final time. Spoilers. Um, <clears throat> it's you kind of get the sense that the last time they saw each other mm. was, you know, on, on the fateful day when Obi-Wan hit the high ground. And obviously, like I, I know that, that Darth Vader would have been furiously searching for Obi-Wan, but I'm, I'm, I'm so intrigued about how they're going to make this play out and whether we'll actually see Obi-Wan and Darth Vader in the same scenes. And they have to be true, and I know they will because they're great at this. They have to be true to what has already been done and what has been said. And if you recall, as I'm sure you do, the line, when I left you, I was but the learner. So they they have to they have to have if I guess I guess we're making assumptions then that these two characters are gonna meet. I guess there's no guarantee that that will happen, let's be honest. But if they do, then um at that point Vader's still going to have to be with his with his L plates, you know, his learner plates on. He's he's still not quite the finished article. I I don't think they're going to meet. My prediction is I think we'll see them, uh, you know, in in kind of different spaces. Mm. And you, I think, but I I I don't think that they would be in the same scene. I, I think it's going to create because I I don't think. Obi-Wan would leave Tatooine and I don't think that um, Darth if Darth Vader knew that Obi-Wan was there mm. it would be game on so it's going to look we've got a lot to talk about next year when we start getting more and more information about these shows but what what a time to be a fan two other things just really quickly uh, Star Wars a droid story um, a new droid um, with uh, characterized that's not characterized what's the word i'm looking for here um introduced and sort of uh, holding the the microphone on this c3po and r2d2 sounds there'll be one for the kids sounds like it'll be a bit of fun uh the bad batch trailer looked looked pretty good looked pretty decent i felt like it, again it got overshadowed because of all the news for all this other stuff going on but otherwise if we hadn't had all that other stuff we'd probably be sitting here talking about the bad batch uh trailer and uh the other one just quickly that again just sort of almost creeps under the radar um is the uh, the star wars the the acolyte which has a really uh, interesting logo and all we know about that one is that it's exploring the dark side of the force i mean that's what is that that sounds pretty exciting too it's good paul it's, as i say it, it's a good time to be a fan it's you know, there's there's so much great Star Wars content, and you know something we've always said is that a lot of the 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 prequels and the sequels and the they all age like a fine wine, and every year they get better and better, and they get made stronger because of some of the new content and some of the new stories that come out because it makes it matter more, and I think that's what's great for the Star Wars universe. 
And on top of all of that, part of their announcement, of course, was we've got Indiana Jones coming out in 2022 and Harrison Ford is back. So all those people in 2008 who were saying, oh, look, Harrison Ford's too old for this. Let's see how they, let's see how they cope with him in 2022. I'm excited about that as well. But let's, let, let, let's, not, let's not talk about it for too long. So in that case, it must be time for the mailbag. Yeah, so let's bring us down to earth, shall we? So what have we got here? Okay, so our Captain Scarlet chat last week piqued uh, a few people's interest. Um, we found out that Virgil from our Discord community owns the entire box set of Captain Scarlet, which I guess is no real surprise for someone whose profile picture is Virgil Tracy. Um, we had Norman from Mission Log Podcast. He, uh, he retweeted our review on Twitter and he added a comment that uh, we should do one on Space 1999 and UFO with him and with his Mission Log co-host John Champion, so that could be interesting. Uh, White Star Prime added onto that he'd be keen to see us do a review of Terrorhawks 2. I feel like we're getting a few suggestions come through now, um, which is which is great for people, what they want us to do podcasts about. I'm not sure if I can cope with Terrorhawks. I'm not sure because the character Zelda freaked me out as a kid, and she was responsible for many nightmares I had back in the day. But... Um, Great to see people uh, excited about that. Uh, Roland Emmerich, uh, who directed those, as you like to say, little indie projects such as Independence Day, Universal Soldier, uh, Day After Tomorrow, and of course, our movie of the week last week, uh, Midway. He got involved on our Instagram and our Twitter last week. Uh, he shared a review of his movie, Midway, which was, you know, that's awesome. And the actor... Tadanobu Asano, who played the the Japanese Admiral Yamaguchi. He liked our review on Instagram as well. And also on Midway, the streaming platform here in New Zealand, Neon, uh, who, you know, we watch a lot of their movies on there. Um, they added our podcast review of the film to their Instagram story, which got a, a bit of in- attention as well, which is nice. Coming back to Star Wars, which you know, is inevitable in this podcast then, um, our Mandalorian review of Chapter 14, the tragedy had the most responses we've ever had to a post uh, in the the year that we've been going online, um, specifically around Tamara Morrison's return to Star Wars, which we had we had like over two hundred and fifty people on Facebook like and share our posts and about fifty comments, which was which was great fun. And there was a few comments here that I was going to just share with you then. And we had uh, Thomas uh, Fitiora. He commented that there was a TV program on a few years ago about. Timur Morrison um, that showed him uh, struggling as an actor to find work and that he thought it was just great that he's now, you know, he's, he's getting so much publicity and that he's popular again. And Tem has been having some fun on social media himself, which has been nice. Uh, we had uh, Salasopa Silota. He commented um, Tem's knowledge of wielding a Tayaha uh, did it for me, bashing those stormtroopers. James Wilson he wants to know how he climbed his way out of that worm in the desert, uh, to which we had a reply from Nicholas Blake saying, oh, look, he still had his jetpack and his grapple, to which we then had a reply from a guy called Christopher Deuter, who said he didn't climb out. He carved his way out through its intestines. The problem was that the salic stomach acid dissolved a good portion of his armor and his skin, which is why he looked so disfigured and his armor looked like it did when Mando recovered it. There's there's literally over 40 people in there in that discussion for it, which is great. Go check it out on our Facebook page. But um, Dan, I did enjoy some of those thoughts that people shared with us, um, like the stomach acid theory and how, how he escapes. What do you think? Yeah, look, I think, um, I, I feel like I might have heard this. This, is, this might be in one of the 
the legend stories uh, of how Boba Fett got out of got out of that stomach. But you know, you, Boba Fett's a fighter. He's definitely going. He's going through that stomach. He's getting out one way or another. And I think again, this is what speaks to me about. I like the battle worn Boba Fett armor because it speaks to the journey that that character's been on. I think the the fresh paint doesn't pay any homage to that journey. Yeah, no, I agree, and it's uh, it's interesting, eh? Just uh, you know, now we live in a world where Boba Fett is is fully fully painted again. Um, over on Instagram, also for our Mandalorian post, uh, we also had some comments on there, including comments at length from our you know our personal friend Frank Todaro, aka Starscream, uh, who said on there. Morrison's expressions alone made these fight scenes a borderline horror movie. So good between him and Robert Rodriguez expert artistry. I'm still reeling on how well they improved on perfection with that episode. I didn't think it was possible to like Boba Fett even more at 40 than I did at four, not to mention having all my childhood postulations as to how the inside of slave one writes itself on takeoff. Finally realized we truly live in the best timeline. And I thought that was a really interesting, well, there's a whole bunch of things in there, which I thought were interesting because I feel the same way as someone in my 40s about the Boba Fett character. But he's re- he's so right about Slave 1. When the ship took off, you sort of saw how um, that, 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 I don't know what you want to call it, that module stays level with gravity so that you don't get thrown about all over the place. I... Um... If you've ever made Slave One on Lego, it's actually got a, a similar module inside it, so that when you when you tip the ship up, the the cockpit adjusts to the um, to the correct direction. Because that's always been something that's been fascinating to me as well. So that, that, that's a great spot. Confirmed as canon. So yeah. So thank you, Frank. Uh, and then on, oh yeah, over on Twitter we had Earl Green from thelogbook.com. Uh, he commented as well. He was also chuffed to see Tim back in the role, and said that he's been a fan of his work since before Star Wars, and that he's one of New Zealand's national treasures. And I think we certainly agree with you. So thank you, Earl. And finally, we so as always, people always love getting involved in our peak performance segment. Last week was Michael Bine. Uh, and we had uh, Norman from Roddenberry.com said that his number one is Corporal Hicks from Aliens. Trisha from Time Tink Podcast also went with Corporal Hicks and Reese from Terminator, whilst her co-host Paddy went with Terminator at three, Alien at two. But his winner, like you, Dan, was Johnny Ringo from the movie uh, Tombstone. Um, a movie like you, Dan, he insists we review on this podcast one day. Um and our man from Candy Kerry also added that, did you know that Michael Bynes' likeness was used in the very first Metal Gear Solid game? I thought that was hmm. quite interesting. I feel like um, Paddy and I are often quite in sync with our choices. I feel like in a, in a stepbrothers type way, did we just become best friends? I, I think so. I, f- I feel like, um, I think that's very, very true. And of course, Trisha and I have uh, a lot of history with the with the Star Trek side of things. And finally... Michael Bynes' wife, Jennifer Blanc Bynes, she spotted our post too. And while she didn't give us her pick for peak performance for, for her husband, she did like the photos that we posted. So that was nice. And that's, oh, that's, awesome. that's the mailbag. So if you'd like to be in there, oh, stuff. get in touch on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or join the chat in the Discord community. So, Paul, it must be time for our peak performance. So every week, much like our movie of the week, Paul and I take turns choosing different actors and actresses, and we choose our three, two, one of their peak performances. So, Paul, who have we got this week? This week, Dan, 
a selection for peak performances, none other than Keanu Reeves. Damn. And would you like to go first? I feel like Keanu Reeves is your thing. I feel like I remember having a conversation with you off air where we were trying to decide between actors and I was like, Keanu Reeves or someone else. And each time I suggested someone else, you always went with Keanu Reeves, I think. Um, so uh, All right. I'll let you take this one. Now, this is quite tough for me because, you know, with this whole format of 3-2-1, I've had to cut out a movie that should be in the list, but I'm relying on you, Paul, to pick it up. So no pressure, but it better be on your list right. or I'm going to have to add another. I'm going to have to have a 4 3 2 one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Keanu Reeves. So Keanu Reeves, the um, – Everyone loves him on the internet. He is uh, he's had a, a pretty tragic backstory actually. Uh, his his wife died. Um, he's known for being super generous, super kind, really nice guy. Um, he's starred in a lot of great fun movies. But for my three two one, my number three is I'm actually gonna go with the nineteen ninety four classic Speed. Don't stop the bus, Paul. Don't stop the bus. So this, you know, obviously a, a movie about a, a young police officer who must prevent a bomb from exploding aboard a city bus. Also starring uh, Sandra Bullock, and the bus cannot um, cannot drop its speed below fifty uh, miles per hour. And it's just it's such a fun time. In fact, even talking about it makes me think I need to watch this movie again. It's been a long time since I've seen it. It's so outrageous. There's some great stunts there's some great scenes there's some great one-liners and i'm going to give it my number three spot number two is going to john wick so i have long raved about uh, the john wick series on the half measures podcast i think uh john wick is such a such a, a fun action movie and I think what makes it fun is I think Keanu Reeves commitment to being the ultimate badass his weapons training um all of the the fight scenes that he's he's learned and choreographed everything he puts into this role top tier and I think John Wick for me came out of nowhere and it's been a real pleasant surprise and and now we've got three great movies but John Wick 2 sorry John Wick 1 the first movie is my number two spot. Number one. Now, this is where you think I'm going to say something, but I can't do it, Paul. I'm going to go with the 1991 classic, Point Break. So, an FBI agent goes undercover to catch a gang of surfers who may be bank robbers. What a plot line. Keanu Reeves, I love this movie. Now, I've seen this movie so many times. Also stars Patrick Swayze, um, Gary Busey, and it's just an, another great action movie from the 90s. I know that they've remade, remade this movie uh, a few years ago, and I, I've never been able to bring myself to watch it, but the original is definitely one of my favorite all-time action movies. So my 3 two, one is Speed, John Wick, and Point Break. Amazing. I wonder if we'll be in sync, Dan, because my number three is also 1991's classic, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Now, you thought I was going point break there, but no. So we're off to a good start. I think most people actually preferred the original. 
Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And I have to be honest, I haven't seen the recent, uh, the, the third one, Face the Music. Um, but this movie resonated with me a lot as a teenager back in 1901. And I really appreciate, I really appreciate this side of Keanu Reeves' acting repertoire. And it became a thing. It is a thing. And uh, it's, I, I wanted it represented in my 321. And yeah, this movie. I think it was one of the first movies I remember buying on VHS and I remember just staring at it on my shelf and just as a result, I just watched it a lot. I loved it. So that's number three. Uh, we are a little bit in sync here, Dan. Number two for me is the 1994 movie Speed. Um, I literally thought of this movie every time I got on a bus for like the next decade. Uh, I just played that out in my head. Um, you know, such, such, such was my life back in the nineties. Um, such an original action movie story and i feel his chemistry with you know sandra bullock was what really made this this movie such a success and probably the only movie that's ever been better than speed would probably be speed to cruise control right i mean that was the that was where the real action was <laughs> terrible um but my number one spot then is toy story 4 so this is no i'm kidding don't worry, I've done it. I've brought it to the table. It's 1999's The Matrix. All-time classic. A superb trilogy, soon to be a, what do you call four movies? Quadret? I don't know what you call it. But this this first movie is the one I'm thinking of within this this this, this set of movies. They've find a whole new genre. And for Keanu, for me, it felt like it was the first time I'd seen him so cool and so serious. And I really felt like I just, I know... I just love him as this character and um, Mr. Anderson just, you know, he played that role so well, the way he battled it opposite Hugo Weaving and his chemistry with, um, goodness me, I've forgotten her name. Awful. Um, You know who I mean? Um, I knew the character's name. I just can't think of the actress's name. It's escaping me at the moment. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss. Thank you. Uh, And Lawrence Fishburne, all of them together, but this movie genre, this, this this performance from him was very much different. It's not something I thought he had in his locker, and since then, of course, he's done so much more. But um, just just to go from Bill and Ted to Speed to see him cast in this movie, I just wasn't quite sure what was going to happen, and he was just great. So that's my three, two, one for Keanu Reeves. Epic, Paul. I'm I'm glad you mentioned the Matrix because I just I wanted to put it in there, but I was like I hedged my bets and I'm like I'm sure Paul's going to cover this, so I can I can bring something else in so that I could I could share the Keanu Reeves love around the place. You're probably a bit worried when I so, started off with a bogus journey. You're like, oh, there's one strike down. Is he really going to get it with the next two? But um, <laughs> but, but yes. So um, I will say a quick thank you to time traveling tink podcast uh for sponsoring this week's episode side note i listened as i always do to uh, this week's episode where they review the doctor who story the savages from 1966 i have to say it was one of their best and i recommend it to any whovians or wannabe whovians out there give them a listen so thank you time traveling tink for all your support this year and sponsoring so many of our episodes we really appreciate it Awesome. So, yeah, that brings us to the end of a, another episode, a bit of a, a long one. The next episode, we'll obviously be talking about the the final of Mandalorian, which will be exciting for all of you Star Wars fans out there. But just before we go, a special shout out to our Patreon producers of the show, Trisha Brady and Samara King. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer, then you can find the details in the show notes below. 
But until next week, adios, friends.